The Water Values Podcast, Session 117. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resource, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGinnis. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. We've got a great show for you today, but first off, Happy New Year. Hope uh, 2017 finished up very well for you and that you're looking forward to big things in the water sector in 2018. Uh, we got a great show for you. Uh, we have Michael Murphy of the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. We also have Reese Tisdale back for another Bluefield on Tap session. Uh, before we get to those great uh, interviews, a uh, little housekeeping as usual. Uh, first off, apologies for not getting newsletters out for the podcast releases in uh, December. It just There was too much going on at work. I just didn't have enough time to get those out, so apologies. I'll, I'll uh, uh, get one out here. Uh, for this episode. Also, I want to thank you for those of you who have uh, rated the podcast on iTunes. We've got a couple new five-star ratings, so thank you so much. If you are rating it, please also consider leaving a review. If you've enjoyed the podcast, leaving that review uh, lets other people you know, read why you actually like the podcast rather than just seeing a, a five-star rating. So uh, thank you very much. You know, I'll take the ratings, uh, but uh, we would love to get the reviews too. Uh, as, as always, uh, if you have been enjoying the podcast and, and would like to uh, help contribute and kind of keep the keep the valves open, so to speak, uh, please consider making a donation. You can do that by scrolling down on the website, thewatervalues.com. Uh, hit the hit the PayPal donate button, and any denomination is appreciated. Uh, it just goes to defraying the cost of uh, putting this podcast on. So thank you very much for those of you who have donated. With that, we've got a, a an extended show today, just because we have Bluefield on tap. Uh, that segment back with Reese Tisdale. So uh, before we get to Michael Murphy and his fantastic interview and his talk about the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center, let's go to Reese Tisdale for the Bluefield on Tap session. Reese Tisdale, welcome back to another Bluefield on Tap session here on the Water Valleys podcast. How you been? I'm good, good. This is it. It's 2017 <laughs> at least. So I guess... Uh... It's been a good year. We're still here. That, yeah, that's that's great. Uh, well, you know, last week, or last show, I should say last episode, we had uh, the kind of season finale for 2017 where we had Charles Fishman, Cindy Wallace-Lage, and Jeff Keitlinger on and kind of talked about the year in water 2017. I'd like to get your perspective now on uh, 2017 uh, from kind of the, the, the market research uh, at angle. And uh, could you just tell us a little about uh, – uh, what you saw from from the market research angle in 2017? I think you know there are a couple things you know, and I look at it from what are what are clients or you know other companies asking about. And I think over the first six months, a big disc part of the discussion was what's happening with new president uh, change in Congress to some extent. So what was going to be their impact? And quite honestly, their impact is on infrastructure as a whole has been pretty limited. Um, I know there was excitement, and then sort of the air was let out. Then again, at the end of the year, we've clo- we've sort of wrapped up with uh, with tax cuts, and I think what we we are going to see some longer term impacts of the tax cuts on municipal infrastructure spending, um, which is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, is our muni bonds going to be as attractive as they used to be? 
um, and our rates going to go up and therefore make infrastructure more expensive. Um, the other things that we saw getting a lot of questions about, and really this was about mid-year, was the rebound in commodity prices. And we've talked a little bit about this, uh, oil and gas. And, you know, obviously with prices bumping up at $60 a barrel now for oil, I think there's, you know, the Permian Basin has been incredibly active. We've seen a lot of uh, private equity capital flow into that market. And water has been a central focus of a lot of that spending and sort of water management where the dollars being spent on everything from transport to treatment to discharge. So that's been interesting. And then I think lastly, you know, to sort of wrap up the year, the, one of the big issues, I think you talked a little bit about this, is just resiliency. Resiliency is defined in a lot of different ways, whether it be environmental resiliency, financial resiliency, all of the above. Um, what's the impact of everything from drought to hurricanes um, and other environmental events on utility systems as a whole. That's been really big. And something that if you look in municipal utility annual reports, whether it be in the U.S., Canada, and elsewhere, uh, looking at the impact of climate change as a whole on municipal systems is at the forefront of a lot of uh, utilities and what they're in their plans. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. You you mentioned bonds and climate change, and, and uh, I know Charles Fishman kind of brought that up as his 2018 look forward is that Moody's is going to start taking into account climate change risk when assigning uh, risk levels for bonds or assigning ratings for bonds, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but so, you know, it was interesting hearing you say that in your in your look back and, and Charles mentioning that in his look forward. I'd like to get your uh, perspective on the look forward for 2018. What are we going to be looking at in uh, in 2018 uh, from from the water sector here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to start with that, a good segue. I'd agree with Charles. I think what we've already seen happening with green bonds and their usage uh, globally has begun to increase. But also, you know, what we saw at DC Water with the environmental impact bond that they're using for stormwater overflows. Uh, it's a new financial tool being used that the expectations we'll see more of that. They're more innovative financially, and they basically reduce the risk for the – they're really performance-driven on, on the project and in some ways reduce risk uh, for, the, for the utility and municipality. Um, other areas, I mean, I think to that point, you know, other sources of funding, it goes without saying everybody's waiting for an infrastructure plan from – Washington, if that's ever going to happen, I know ideologically there are a lot of there's a huge divide on how it's going to be paid for, and I think on one one side of that equation is is private capital, and without a doubt, private capital is waiting at the wings to figure out a way to get into the uh, whether it be municipal and or industrial water sectors um, in the U.S. and elsewhere. We've seen companies like Blackstone, BlackRock. Um, KKR, they're all circling, looking for these opportunities. And, you know, so is that partly privatization? Could be public-private partnerships? There's no shortage of capital. That's been said time and time again. It's really a matter of acceptance and what their roles are going to be. Um, I think, you know, another thing that's of interest is uh, what I think, and I think Bluefield as a whole we think is interesting, is this sort of uh, – return of, uh, and we talked a little bit about it in our M&A 
discussion. That's sort of bundling of infrastructure, and by that I mean sort of wrapping up power and water and gas is among single-service providers in some cases. And good examples, more recent examples of that have been Eversource when they acquired Aquarian. So in New England, that was a, that was a substantial deal. Just one, two, two days ago, I believe we saw um, NW Natural, who's a natural gas service provider in the Northwest, acquired two utilities in Oregon and Idaho. So they've added water to their portfolio, which is, an in, which is of interest. And then another sort of we'll see what ends up happening with it is Jacksonville, JEA, uh, the Jacksonville, what once was Jacksonville Electric, Electric Authority. But they also have water assets, about 300,000 customers uh, plus. And there's been discussions of privatization of that utility. So there might be – and that – may preclude fair play water players like American or Aqua America to uh, to acquire it as as a as a bundle but that's where maybe private equity or other investors step in if it in fact goes down that path we'll see what happens this is the second time they've looked at, at privatization within the past five years so this will be interesting to see what happens yeah I, I, oh I'm sorry go ahead Reese no, no, no. I, you know, I've got one more point. I yeah. Can always, I can always hold back. No, hit it. Hit it. Let's hear it. So I think, you know, what we see, you know, I keep thinking about this. We read about it in the paper every day. I think there was something in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that talked about technology that will change your life in 2018, I think was the title of the article. But we at Bluefield have been looking increasingly at this, partly in relation to smart water as a whole. And I think what we're trying to figure out is, are customers ultimately going to start taking more control of water? Because, and by that, I guess the the collateral damage of that is our utility is going to lose control of the customer. Does that mean that is there a potential opportunity for technology-driven companies, the Amazons, the Googles, these big, large data and analytics companies to step in and start taking over, over control or providing services to municipalities and utilities with things such as billing, understanding what's happening within a network. There's maybe a longer-term play there that actually is moving faster than everybody thought was going to happen. I think part of this also, I think when you think about these Amazon Echoes and the Google Homes and the Apple products, I mean, there were 22 million of them sold this past year. So customers are going to start are increasingly asking for more and looking for better understanding what's happening within their homes but also it's definitely happening within commercial and industrial facilities when it comes to water. It gets back to that resiliency and financial and environmental risk operations. Reese, I, I can't wait to see how 2018 unfolds, but it's been great having you back. Uh, really appreciate all the time you've, you've, you've taken with us over the past year or so. And just wanted to say thank you for uh, coming and renewing to be back on the Water Values podcast with uh, the Bluefield on Tap segment. So thanks so much. No, thank you, Dave. The pleasure has been all mine and all of us for all from all of us at Bluefield. We wish everybody a happy 2018 and look forward to uh, providing more uh, insights into what's happening in the water sector. And thanks to Water Values Podcast, we're able to do so. Oh, you bet. All right. Hey, thanks, Reese. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. Take right. care. Uh -huh. Bye. Well, as always, Reese does a great job with the Bluefield on TEPS. I mean, really appreciate the time he takes out for us uh, once a month to come on and talk about uh, what's going on in the water industry. I thought his lookbacks 
uh, for 2017 were spot on. And I think he had some really uh, interesting insights in 2017, especially the the whole aspect of the utility losing control of the customer. I think that's a pretty uh, significant point uh, that, uh, that that if, if, if you're the utility, you got to be, uh, you know, it, it's a whole new world out there and they, they are at risk of losing access to the customer. And so um, I, that that is, uh, I, I think, one of the bigger themes that's going to be going on here as technology continues to advance. With that, we have Michael Murphy of the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. He works in the water space at the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. And he's and if you kind of listen to him, Michael's background when he's talking about it, he's he's really had a fascinating ride through life so far in the water sector, going from uh, some Peace Corps work, uh, then you know working at the Pacific Institute for a short amount of time. Seeing and he's just been all over the place. Uh, and has seen the water industry from a number of different angles. So I think you're really going to like his perspective on uh, water and its place in the clean tech space. And so uh, without further ado, let's open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Michael, thanks for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate you taking some of your time out of your busy day for us. Uh, To start, Michael, could you give us a, a little about who you are, your background, and how you got interested in water? Definitely, Dave. And uh, first off, just thank you for the opportunity to join you today. Uh, really uh, looking forward to the conversation. So as you, uh, as you asked, um, I'm from Austin, Texas. Uh, grew up there. Uh, and Austin is surrounded by water. And so that's how I really uh, became interested in water as a kid uh, and a young adult. Spent quite a bit of time um, in rivers, lakes, uh, caring about the, uh, the Edwards Aquifer. If you know anything about Central Texas, there's a large aquifer that is limestone, so it's very porous, um, and there's sensitive recharge zones around Austin. Um, And so it's always been a big topic around there, uh, water. And and I became uh, very uh, curious, interested, and then passionate about uh, what we could do to make sure that um, the water that we have uh, remains clean, remains abundant, um, and remains available to everyone. Um, so that's that's going way back. That's sort of the genesis, right? So, right, right. And then fast, fast forward, and, and then um, I go to undergrad, get a degree in biology, did a little bit of work in high tech, completely unrelated, but that's right out of college, and then made my way over to the water sector via uh, the United States Peace Corps. So I started working or volunteering in the Peace Corps, um, you know, in 2002, um, and I was in Bolivia, and so what I did in Bolivia is I worked with communities on purifying water, teaching them how to do that, mapping out water systems. We built wells with appropriate technology, and really just trying to uh, help those communities understand um, clean water and better delivery of water, better access to water. I happen to live in a location uh, with a, a very shallow water table, and everyone had pit latrines. So you can imagine the contamination that was taking place, and a lot of sick children uh, were, were, um, you know, were around. So uh, really just trying to teach people different ways to purify water and then working with the local municipality on uh, trying to access funds, secure those funds, and uh, build water systems. Uh, That was actually very difficult to do. The thing that really became successful was building wells. Um, so, you know, moving on past, P, past uh, Peace Corps, 
you know, going to grad school um, with an MBA and a, a master's in international environmental policy uh, at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies, and really looking at all of that, all of my grad studies through the lens of water and, and how I could, uh, you know, uh, provide some sort of value to the industry and to communities that needed uh, better access to water and sanitation, but I was really more focused on water. Uh, did a little bit, a very short stint at the Pacific Institute in Oakland, um, short stint, stint at the Woodrow Wilson Center, International Center for Scholars in, in DC, uh, working on riparian uh, cooperation and conflict issues around the world. Um, I was at World Bank for four years working on a water supply and sanitation uh, team, uh, all focused on Latin America and Caribbean. Uh, did some evaluation work uh, with the Global Environment Facility for about a year. Um, and then made my way to the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. So everything up to the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center was really about international development around water, uh, the, the global story around water. Um, and that, that carried over to MassCEC, but MassCEC really became a, an opportunity to work on a more local level with Massachusetts and the region and switch gears a little bit into the technologies around water and wastewater and stormwater. Um, and, and accelerating those technologies to market. Um, and so that's what MassCEC does. We're a, a quasi-governmental agency that uh, takes early risk in, in technology companies um, and helps them move from proof of concept, uh, you know, ideally into the market. And that, in the water sector, that takes a long time. And so we have a range of programs, which I can speak about at some point in this conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to help companies get to the market. And so it's been, you know, tremendous opportunity uh, really to have some influence on the sector and uh, really get to know a lot of the players around New England and, and around the country as well uh, from the university uh, um, sector, startups, large companies, investors, professional associations, the incubators and accelerators that participate. MassCEC really sits at the hub of all that as a facilitator and a convener and a grantor um, of funds to help these technology um, companies uh, make it into the market. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's kind of the short of the long of my background and brings me to the present um, and working in, in water uh, for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Great. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, speak with you because most of the clean energy kind of uh, programs that I've been involved with uh, have not had the, the, you know, a sector or a division that looks at, at water issues in the clean tech sector. And so I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you about that today. Uh, but I do, I do want to follow up on two things. First off, I thought I, I didn't know you were from Texas. Um, and I've, I've had Robert Puente on a couple of times, um, either as a panelist on a, on a, uh, you know, a panel I've been on at a conference or uh, I, I had him on in, you know, early on in the pot. Well, maybe not early on, but I think he was like uh, episode 45 or 46 or something like that. Uh, and he was, a, he was fantastic. He talked a lot about the Edwards aquifer and how, how uh, some of the environmental constraints on the Edwards aquifer led them to the Vista Ridge project. Um, if you've kind of kept in, in step with what's going on down there, but it, it's uh uh, it's a it's a fascinating, uh, I think, uh, water supply ecosystem uh, down in down in Texas in terms of what uh, Robert has has uh, explained to me before. But in any event, it yeah, it is fascinating, and it's you know I haven't lived in Austin since the early two thousands, but it is my home. 
uh, to where my family's at. And so, you know, I get back there on a regular basis and um, uh, it's, it's always been an issue. And, and with the population explosion over the last 20 years, uh, there's, there's added pressures on the resource. Um, because that resource there is used for agriculture, recreation, flood control, drinking water. Um, so it really is in high demand from a lot of different perspectives. Yeah. And I should add that, that Robert Puente is the, he's the, the, essentially the CEO of the San Antonio water system, which draws, which also draws on that Edwards aquifer. Um, so, so I, I should make that distinction, uh, cause he's, Robert's not with, uh, with Austin. All right. Well, let's get into the, uh, the meat of the program here. And so you're in the clean tech sector, obviously doing the water in the, the water space in the clean tech sector. And, and can you just kind of give us a flavor for, for how water fits into clean tech? That's really what I, you know, kind of the, the, the overarching picture I'd like to come out with today is how water fits in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it gets to the water energy nexus, right? Um, you know, the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center basically does all clean tech, but we have this small water innovation program uh, because of the water, uh, the water energy nexus. So, you know, you can't have one without the other. Um, and there was, you know, you know, visionaries here in, in the Commonwealth that said, hey, look, you know, MassEC is well-placed uh, to work on water a little bit and, and help some of the water tech companies get to market. Um, because we're funded through a systems benefit charge. It's a very unique model that has been very successful and helped Massachusetts. And MassCEC helped Massachusetts be a, uh, you know, a leader for seven years in a row in renewable energy. Um, and so that systems benefit charge goes into the Renewable Energy Trust Fund. And then we're able to, to work out of that trust fund. And a little bit of that we can use for water innovation work uh, because of the water energy nexus. And, you know, we know that Thermal electric cooling for electricity generation is, is a massive amount of water consumption and both withdrawal and consumption. Um, you know, hydroelectric is, is uh, you know, fits squarely into the water energy nexus. And then where I spend a lot of my time is on wastewater treatment um, and how energy intensive that process is. So what we're really looking to do um, in a number of ways, not only help the companies that are in water innovation, um, that with a focus on wastewater get to market, but also help the utilities um, and help hopefully incentivize the municipal sector to take on some cutting edge technologies and do that via a public private partnership where we supply some funding for pilot projects that are very near the market. And we ask that a partnership be formed between a utility and a technology provider or solution provider um, to do this demonstration or pilot, depending on the scale they're at, uh, with the idea that it's going to serve the needs of the utility, help, um, you know, address one of their challenges, and primarily reduce the energy consumption uh, related to the process, which really can is a massive amount of, of their, um, I guess, uh, ex- expenses, you know, upwards of 40% of, of a utility's expense, a wastewater treatment utility's expense is for um, energy. And so how can we help to bring that down? And that's how the clean tech sector is supporting the water tech sector specific to Mass CEC and the Commonwealth here. Um, So it's been a very rewarding and successful model. um, And that's how we're able to do what we do. We also have a small water innovation trust fund, but it it doesn't have the benefit yet 
of having a, a, a public surcharge on water tariffs that capitalize it. And that's something that I think if you know states begin to take on, those states will become leaders in water innovation because it will effectively be money coming out of water tariffs. And I know people don't want to talk about increasing water tariffs, but um, a lot of that money would be returned right back into the industry in the form of grants, rebates, loans to help prop up and spur the market, really spur the market forward and get more technologies in the market and accelerate adoption. Right. And so you've, you've said a lot there. I'm, I, I want to unpack a couple of those things. I want to, un, but, but first off, the, the first thing you mentioned that I want to get to, and you, you kind of mentioned it at the top and mentioned it at the back was the systems benefit charge. Tell me, uh, it, it, it sounds like it's a writer on the retail water users bills or sewer users bills. systems benefit charge on water bills. We have the systems benefit charge in Massachusetts on uh, investor-owned electric utilities. Okay. Uh, and so if, if you're connected to one of those large uh, investor-owned uh, electric utilities, you're paying a very small surcharge every month. That goes into the Renewable Energy Trust Fund, and MassCEC works out of that trust fund. Um, and a very, very small percentage of that is for, for water innovation. Got it. Got it. So um, t- tell me a little about how that, you know, how big of a chunk is that? I mean, did you, was there a lot of political, you know, pressure or how, how did that get through? Is that, is it, sta- I assume it's statutory. The, the water part of it is, is not statutory. Okay. The, the uh, Mass CC was created under the 2008 Green Jobs Act. And that, that Renewable Energy Trust Fund was created before that um, when energy deregulation happened. Um, and then MassCEC uh, was, was tasked with, uh, I guess, administering that trust fund. Uh, the water innovation component just was added in 2013 as a way to uh, you know, spur, spur economic activity and growth in the water sector. And it was seen that MassCEC would be a good fit because of the water energy nexus. Um, so it's not statutory to work on, on water per se. The other thing I think that you said was interesting is, is kind of matching up the technologies with uh, uh, the utilities and, you know, hopefully arranging a public-private partnership. How do, how do you find that? How do you kind of marry up technologies with, with willing, you know, how do you find the willing and able utilities and match them up with those technologies? It's challenging, uh, to be frank. Um, it is challenging. But we work with our networks here uh, and, and colleagues at other institutions and, and entities to, um, you know, get the word out and to have it be known that this is a good opportunity for, for municipalities to take advantage because many of them are bootstrapped. And here's an opportunity to perhaps take on a, a technology that can benefit them. Um, you know, we're in the second round of running this program where we're trying to create these partnerships between wastewater treatment utilities and companies. Um, you know, and the first round has gone pretty well. We have we have five pilot projects um, underway, and we're hoping to have five to eight more in the coming year. Um, but it, it really takes – it just takes heavy lifting, to be quite honest. Um, you know, we have to get on the phone and, and answer a lot of questions with uh, the utilities um, as they have them. I'll say that much of these partnerships are being driven by either a consultant or uh, the technology provider themselves. Um, it's not as often that the utility is driving it, although that is happening, but less so. Uh, we'd like to see more and more of that. And I think in time, you know, if we can be successful with this program, we'll see more utilities um, want to do that. 
Um, but we also have other programs, not we, MassDEC, but there's other state programs that help utilities just on energy efficiency without the innovation component. And so um, that also takes up a little bit of bandwidth. And, and those are more shovel-ready projects. Those are commercialized and, and well uh, understood technologies. And they will help bring down an energy, uh, energy demand at a wastewater treatment facility. So those are fantastic programs that um, Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection runs. Um, so, Okay. Well, can you talk a little about the programs that, that get these technologies from kind of their infancy up to the point where they're ready to kind of marry up with, with a utility or with another uh, uh, potential user? What, what kinds of programs does the Massachusetts CEC have uh, to to help shepherd these program these technologies along, right? Um, so I sit in a team um, called Innovation and Industry Support. This is our division, and Water Innovation sits within that. Um, and our grant programs are really structured around the technology readiness levels uh, one through nine, uh, one through four being research and prototyping, five through seven being demonstration and acceleration and then TRL seven through nine being commercialization and growth. And so we, we've created programs that fit into each of those three um, buckets of TRL. So if you start at research and prototyping TRL one through four, uh, we have a program called Amplify Mass, and it really funds projects that are pursuing a, a cost share or an adder from a federal prime award, award um, or a grantor. Um, such as NSF, DOE, RPE, uh, things like that. Uh, we have another uh, program called The Catalyst that is five or six years running now that has been very successful, and it's really looking at proof of concept and bench scale technologies and providing up to $65,000 to help those technologies uh, gain traction, move forward, and maybe get closer to a larger pilot or demonstration. And then as you move up sort of that that we have an S-curve uh, slide, and you, you move right, and you get closer to the market, um, and you move up, and you go, you know, you go up in dollar amount size or grant size. Um, and so, moving moving closer to commercialization and higher in uh, uh, dollar size, we have a program called Innovate Mass, and it's really uh, looking at um, also fostering partnerships and doing demonstration projects of of technologies that are near market or in the market. Um, and then we also have a program called Deploy Mass, uh, and that's really looking at helping uh, municipality or companies get their first municipal client. And, and so as we, as we move forward, we're going up that technology readiness ladder. Um, and the idea being these companies, these ideas, they can take advantage of our programs moving up that S-curve closer and ideally into the market. Um, those are a few examples of, of some of our programs. We have a few others. We support incubators as well. We call that incubate mass. And those are typically uh, technologies in that TRL five to seven. So the middle bucket, um, our innovation at wastewater treatment plants that I've been talking about, that's really uh, TRL seven to nine. So technologies close to market. Uh, so that's a few examples of some of the grant programs we have to spur innovation and acceleration. Got it. Now, um, 
you, you've kind of hinted it's and well, not hinted. You've actually mentioned some of the successes. Uh, could you talk about some of the other successes? What you know, I, I understand you, you you may not be able to identify specific companies, but can you kind of walk us through some of the successes you've had uh, in, in fostering these technology companies along? Sure. I mean, we, we've seen companies actually be successful from proof of concept uh, programs and, and move right on through some of our other programs and get into the market and gain traction, um, both on the water side, on the storage side, um, in, in treatment, um, quite a number of different uh, uh, companies and, and, well, technologies have been able to take advantage of our programming over the years, and um, they've won some awards, uh, both local and more national. Um, the Cleantech Open uh, just had their finals in New York, and the winners were from Massachusetts. Um, and those companies have taken advantage of, of MassCEC grant programming. Uh, so um, that's, that's you know, very encouraging to see over time companies being able to benefit from you know, public funding uh, to get into the market and then give back to uh, the economy, give back to society in, in what they're able to provide through their technology. Right, right. And so uh, in terms of the technology for water, you mentioned storage. I assume that's water storage. And, and you know, what uh, – or is, or is that like on-site energy storage for uh, water treatment plants? Or, or, or ladder, on-site okay. uh, energy storage. So storage has become a, a very big – big important topic here as it has everywhere and so we've we've seen a, um, some good success in that area um, and that was just a, an example of success of, of technologies moving through our programming and getting into the market if you can without you know disclosing confidential information can you tell us a little about the, the, I'm, I'm very interested in energy storage because right? uh, a lot of the renewables they you know they're they're uh, intermittent and so I think once once energy storage comes and gets to the point where um, uh, it makes commercial sense. I, that's going to be the game changer, uh, at least in my eyes, in terms of, of renewables and getting getting those out there. And so, if, if you can, uh, can you talk a little about about the water, or excuse me, the uh, the energy storage project and and how that kind of integrated into, into the utility? Sure, I, I will as much as I can. Um, you know, there there is uh, a, a big uh, solicitation out right now. Actually, it's already closed and, and reviews are underway. Uh, for storage projects, but one one in particular is really more about storage and on uh, electric vehicle uh, per perspective, where we've had a, a technology a company be able to take advantage of our of our programs, and now they're they're retrofitting public sector uh, like fleets of trucks uh, with with a battery, um, and so that is those those are in the public sector and they're actually doing work for the public. And the, the programming has allowed this company to advance their technology to the point and partner with other agencies where they're able to outfit a fleet of, of uh, state-owned vehicles with, uh, with battery. Um, and so that, that's been successful. We've, um, we've seen this company move along, and it, it's been great to see. On the, the storage side, as you think about microgrids and things like that, um, that's really kind of still in the future for us, but it's in the near future. Um, you know, the, the Baker Polito administration is very excited about uh, storage, and uh, so we're, we're trying to do our part um, to, to help uh, move that along. Got it. Now, 
you've you've mentioned some of the technologies that you've kind of helped shepherd through. What are what are the most common technologies that you're seeing kind of get pushed through? You know, we're seeing a lot of companies come through with um, you know what what they're saying are breakthroughs on membranes, uh, different kinds of membranes that don't foul as easily. Uh, so biofouling is a is a big problem when you think about reverse osmosis and, and even forward osmosis a little bit. So uh, different kinds of, of membranes, um, you know, companies coming to us that want to do pilots and, and test out their technologies a little bit more. Uh, nutrient removal technologies, so nitrogen is a, a big issue here, uh, especially on Cape Cod. There's a lot of septic tanks, and so this nitrification issue uh is quite a challenging one. We've seen the the, the algae um, and cyanobacteria uh, breakouts around the country. Uh, so technologies addressing that. Um, technologies that make the, the grid smarter, the water grid smarter, uh, more optimized. So stormwater technologies that really can be predictive and, and think, um, uh, take in data and make decisions um, and control stormwater assets before a storm hits, thereby reducing flooding, reducing pressure on a wastewater treatment facility in a combined system, um, and reducing combined sewer overflow. So those kind of technologies, uh, technologies that reduce um, uh, non-revenue water loss. Uh, you know, so you see, we see those kind of technologies. So you know, kind of in, in buckets, uh, technologies that deal with ones and zeros in data better monitoring, better sensing, uh, smarter grid kind of technologies, and then improvements on actual membranes and treatment technologies to bring down uh, energy demands are, are kind of the big buckets we see a lot of, of activity in, um, you know, and then also that nutrient, uh, nutrient removal technology or remediation um, are the big areas we're seeing. Um, Want to see more in um, sort of uh, reuse. So looking at a wastewater treatment facility as really a facility that uh, is not just wastewater and not even really wastewater. I mean, it, it's very much enriched water with, with heat and there's energy in it. Um, you can re recapture and reuse the water, you can reuse the energy, there's, there's nutrients that can be used. Um, so technologies that really look to turn a, a, a traditional wastewater treatment facility into something more of a recapture and reuse facility. Um, I think that I'm hoping that that's where the, the municipal wastewater treatment sector is headed. Um, you know, I think there are some great examples of that. Um, you look at DC water uh, down, in, down in the Washington DC area and what George Hawkins has been able to accomplish and that's a fantastic example. Um, and so um, those, kind of, those kind of technologies I, I think uh, are gonna be more, more and more prevalent. Excellent. It's, I, you you kind of read my mind on that last statement. I was going to ask you, uh, you know, what needs are out there that the technologies haven't been, you know, targeted to? And it sounds like reuse is the one thing that, that you would like to see more, uh, you know, brought more to uh, to your shop. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. Definitely, definitely. No, I mean, there's just, there's just so much opportunity at a wastewater treatment facility. There's so many um, resources there that, that can be reused. And so why not? Why not do that? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of resource recovery, whether it's whether it's through water reuse, uh, the energy cover uh, recovery component through combined heat and power. Um, you know, I've I've read a lot about um, uh, kind of essentially recovering metals 
through the uh, from the solids. Um, I, I haven't seen anyone actually, you know, implement that on a large scale. But I'm, have you seen, you know, the, those kind of resource recovery technologies uh, creeping in, or any, any thoughts on those? Resource recovery technologies creep in on, on the metals uh, specifically, not, not not so much, but more on like heat recovery, uh, energy recovery, um, and even reusing some of the water. Uh, you know, in, in like a purple pipe scenario where you're going to reuse that water for irrigation or something like that or reuse it to a like a class a reuse standard for thermal electric cooling because uh, you don't necessarily need potable water to, to you know for thermal electric cooling and you don't necessarily need potable water for irrigation um, and so that's that that's something we're seeing so ultra filtration technologies that can that can get a a wastewater effluent uh, to a class a reuse standard Got it. Now, what what other needs do you see, and not necessarily from a market perspective? I mean, is there a, is is there anything from a, a like a public perception, you know, perspective or a technology perspective? What other what other uh, needs are you seeing out there uh, that that the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center can uh, can address? I mean, it's the water industry. There are need need abounds, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, we. Uh, We've done a fantastic job in this country over over many many decades of of building uh, water systems that deliver you know clean safe water every day and deal with our wastewater every day. We've done a fantastic job. Um, however, you know those days are coming to an end unless we reinvest. And so, from a public uh, perception, I think you know the public and society on the whole. Um, really needs to value water a whole lot more than it does here. You know, I mean, I've worked around the world, and and it's it's fundament, fundamentally um, life and death in many parts of the world. It just it just is, and so there's a much higher value placed on water. Um, and because we've been successful and so advanced for so long, you know, we've had the luxury of taking it for granted. So I think from a public perception perspective really paying more attention um, and having a greater awareness um, of this very fundamental resource, right? I mean, we don't really have substitutes for it. And if we don't have it for a few days, um, things start to die. Uh, and so that, that I think is a need both in Massachusetts and really everywhere, everywhere. Thinking about water in a much more serious way, the value of it, um, and thinking of it in a connected way, you know, stormwater connected to, to wastewater, connected to drinking water in a cycle. Um, that's important. But then also getting, um, you know, uh, the public sector more involved. Um, it would be great to see a, a, a benefits charge, like a surcharge on water bills um, that can be reinvested right back into the sector to help grow it. Um, and that's just a that's just a policy thing. Um of course, it has to be, you know, sold uh, and it has to be accepted, but, and that could take some time, but yeah, that, that would be another area that I think could really benefit um, Massachusetts and really anywhere who would, who would choose to do something like that. Um, we've seen it work on the, on the uh, renewable energy side here in Massachusetts. Got it. Um, yeah. That's well, a couple. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think the, the, you know, as public perception changes, I think that makes the politics easier for those who set rates and, 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 you know, make, make the kind of the political decisions that, that go into all in, into the water sector. So I, I, I think you're onto something there. Um, well, you know, 
You know, Michael, I really appreciate you taking your time. You've been absolutely fantastic today sharing a little about the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. Have I missed anything? You know, are there, are there any other kind of statements that you, that you think need to be said about uh, the, the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center's work or kind of the water sector in general? Well, look, I think we're on the right track. Um, I, you know, it, it's, uh, we're, it's a slow, conservative industry, but I think uh, in Massachusetts, um, in MassCEC specifically, we're on the right track. We're focusing on energy-intensive um, processes, and we're specifically focused on wastewater treatment. We don't necessarily have the bandwidth or the, or the scale or the mandate quite yet to really look at all of it, but um, you see you see more coordination around the country. I'm, I have the benefit of, you know, getting to be involved and, and have some influence and, and have a seat at the table with a lot of the conversations going on around um, around how we can coordinate, advance, and share best practices. And you're seeing more and more of that. Um, and that's really encouraging. And you're also seeing more uh, people care about water, think about water, ask good questions about water. Um, so I think it's going to take a long time. I will say that we need more people to work in water. We need more young, talented people to work in water. Um, so that's one of the things that we do here at MassCC is uh, we have a fantastic workforce development program that is primarily focused on clean tech, but it's also it also has a focus on water tech. Um, the water tech sector, uh, the municipal uh, water sector needs young, engaged, talented, and skilled people to to work in it, and these are fantastic, well-paying careers. Uh, that travel, you can go anywhere if you know how to deal with water and wastewater and stormwater. Um, you can really work anywhere. And so I'll just say that, you know, the future is bright in that regard. There's a need. Um, there's, there's a massive amount of young people that, that hopefully want to move into this sector and they're needed. And so they're going to be able to do fantastic work. Um, for the good of the public and the good of the economy and really the good of the planet um, and have a long, fulfilling career while they're doing it. Well said. Well said, Michael. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you know, again, really appreciate you coming on. You've done a fantastic job. Could you tell, uh, for those folks who want to find out more about you and the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center, where they can go to get that information? on Twitter. Um, we're on Facebook and LinkedIn. We have some new videos on YouTube as well, just MassCEC or Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. Um, also, our website is full of, of information. So that's uh, MassCEC.com, uh, full of information. And our website's organized basically under three broad buckets. That's innovating in clean tech and water innovation, or working in clean tech and water innovation, or uh, getting or acquiring clean uh, clean tech or water innovation. Um, and so you can kind of navigate our site through those three buckets. We also have an open solicitations page and a jobs board and all that as well. Um, so a lot of information out there on us. Um, and we're on all those social media outlets, as I mentioned. Awesome. Well, again, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. All right. Bye. Take care. You betcha. Bye. Well, I hope you liked that interview with Michael Murphy of the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center. Great guy, and I really appreciated him taking some time out of his day. Uh, you may think it was odd to have a, an energy guy onto the Water Values podcast, but at, as you heard, uh, he's got a, uh, frankly, he's got a, a lot more perspective on water issues 
than a lot of people working in the water space, you know, because of his work uh, in the Peace Corps and at the Pacific Institute and the Woodrow Wilson. Uh, so, I mean, he's just, he's, he's been in a number of different areas and he's got, I, th- I think, a, a, a great appreciation and, and perspective on these water issues. And I think it's always interesting to, to hear people in the technology space talk about what, what they're seeing coming down the pike, um, you know, what technologies uh, seem to be advancing us the most and what are the most common needs and things of that nature. So, uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciated the time you spent with us. Um, tell me, tell me a little about what you thought was interesting in the podcast. You can find those, you can, you can leave a comment on the show notes, uh, which are, can be found at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 117. Uh, again, leave a comment on those show notes, show notes, or you can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues, or you can tweet at me using my handle, which is at DTM1993. And uh, again, uh, as I indicated at the top of the show, please do me a favor, leave a rating and review on iTunes. And if you care to uh, donate to the podcast to help uh, defray the costs of putting it on, uh, there's a little PayPal button on the website, thewatervalues.com. Just scroll down. It's on the, on the right-hand side and hit the donate button. Uh, you can donate in any denomination uh, you care to. Well, thank you again for listening. I hope 2017 ended on a high note for you and that 2018 is going to be absolutely fantastic uh, for you and your families. Uh, so thank you again for listening. And in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning in to The Disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.